This is a crypto finance podcast. We are holding internal knowledge sessions and publish selected episodes to share our know-how and experience with you. About inflation. Uh, now I would like to talk about inflation from the technological side, from, from crypto assets. Uh, not from the political side, I don't care about politics. Um, <laughs> no influence at all. Mm. Well, okay, maybe, maybe let's start from that side first. I think one of the big uh, achievements from, from Bitcoin is that we have a, a monetary supply which is free from politics. That's important. Uh, but also from that, I, I don't care if the emission schedule is um, going to a fixed number, so deflationary from some point on, uh, or if the, the emission schedule would be a fixed number per year or a fixed percentage per year. I don't care. about ca I care about predictability. I don't care about which detail it is. Right, which predetermined emission schedule it is. Um, there are good arguments for everything. Right? If you have an emission schedule of, of zero, so no further emission of coins, then this means that this is very good for the hodlers, for, for everybody who holds coins uh, and wants it to go up in price, uh, wants to save for a long time. He's not diluted in any way. However, the, the network, the miners need to be reimbursed for the electricity that they spend on mining, on securing the, the network. So that cost has to be borne by, uh, by the users through a transaction fee. So having zero inflation, everything paid by the users is probably not that fair, right? Because the hodlers, they, they do profit, but they don't pay for the security. They profit from the security, they don't pay for the security. The other extreme would be no fee at all for a transaction, but instead paying for the security purely from inflation. To that extreme, it would not work. You, you, you will need some fee on the transaction. Otherwise, if, if a miner is paid the same, including zero transactions or a thousand transactions, he might choose the easier way of going with zero transactions. So there needs to be a small fee, which covers the marginal cost of the miner for the operational overhead of, of running, getting the information about pending transactions, whatever. That's, that's small, but that would be the other extreme. So paying... No, only from the holders, not at all from the users. That's also a bad idea because uh, it, it incentivizes the wrong behavior. It incentivizes uh, sending small amounts whenever you feel like it because there is no cost to it, basically no cost to it. Would taxes change that? If governments start to globally tax miners heavily? Based, depends on based on what. If they, if they charge miners, if they tax miners based on transactions or if they charge miners based on, uh, on the hash rate that they have, then you, you, it would participate in one extreme or in the other extreme. It doesn't change the qualitative argument. But it could change the amount of miners, right? Yeah, sure. And then you would have two or three mining companies which would then endanger the... Yeah. Luckily, in, in crypto assets or most crypto assets, mining is permissionless. So I don't have to tell anybody who I am. I don't need to tell anybody where on the planet I am. I can just participate in it. But it's, um, so that's, there is an argument for inflation. There is an argument against inflation. Uh, and as always, if you have such a situation, the, the ideal value is probably somewhere in between. Both the holders and the users pay for, for the security of the network. Uh, this is the situation that we currently have in Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin started out the very first few blocks, the, or the, the first three, four years, uh, transactions were essentially free. Uh, everything was paid through inflation. Right? That was how it started. 
In year 2140, we will be at the other extreme in that no new coins are created. So what, but what's predetermined in Bitcoin is we will go to this only paid by the users. So if we just argue it's probably not the ideal solution, why is that nevertheless what, what we end up with? And maybe two words on top of that. Um, there are two examples of altcoin who did take a different route. They are economically irrelevant, both of them, but I find them interesting because they made a deliberate decision to do it the other way around. There is a coin called Freicoin. It's, it hasn't had any GitHub activity in five years. About a month ago, it started again with, with branding. So it's like probably starting a comeback. Uh, their idea is really a demorage-based coin. So it's paid for by inflation, not by the users. They, they deliberately chose the other extreme from Bitcoin, the opposite extreme. And then there is Dogecoin, also that one interesting one, because they uh, at some point made the decision when the project was already running to, to change the model. It's slightly not true what I'm telling you, we'll come to that in a second, but they, they decided to go from an emission schedule which was the same as Bitcoins, so exponentially going down, to an emission schedule which stays with a fixed number. As they said, this is the rational choice to have at least part of it paid by the, by the holders. And uh, when they, they did that in 2013, I think, also the sentiment in the community, and there are some, some comments by the major, by the main um, Dogecoin people, um, that they said, Bitcoin will follow this. Uh, for them, it's basically, this is the way to do it, and everything else will fail. Well, Dogecoin did not yet fail, so they might have to do something right. So why do I still say it's, it's not the ideal choice? For that, I have to go into, into the scaling debate and the different choices for scaling. How do you scale? You can either scale by just cranking up the numbers, um, allow 2 megabyte, 4 megabyte, 8 megabyte, 16 megabyte blocks. That gives you more throughput. It's not really a scaling solution. You can do something like the Lightning Network, uh, where, you, where, you, where you freeze on-chain amounts in a way that you have to, you can basically, you can cut out IOUs from the chain, hand them around and, and forcibly get that back. That's great. Uh, we talked about that a few times. Uh, and then there is another choice called sidechains. Who of you has heard of sidechains? Okay, about the people that I expected. Sidechains is the idea that you, uh, that you freeze money, you freeze Bitcoin in, in one chain, uh, in the Bitcoin chain, in a, yeah, let's, let's say it very high level. You freeze it there, and at the same time, that allows creation of coins on a, on a second chain. Then on that second chain, you can do whatever you want. And uh, freezing or destroying it again there allows to withdraw it again from the, from the Bitcoin blockchain. It's a pledge. It's a what? A pledge. It's something like a pledge. Yes, technologically, it's of course very different. Yes. Um, but, but, but yeah, you, you somewhat can, can move funds in a one-to-one -one way between um, different chains. So you could have a sidechain which essentially allows uh, 100 megabyte blocks as an experiment. You could transact there, it would be very cheap. If it fails, if that sidechain fails, no big deal really, um, because only those people deciding to participate in that experiment lose anything at all. And chances that most of the people will, only, will even be, be able to, to go back to the Bitcoin main chain before it, it grinds to a hold there. Okay, sidechains allow 
all kind of different rules, right? All that you need to, to be able to do is that you need to be able to create a proof of having destroyed the coins there. You need to know what the proof there looks like because you need to tell the Bitcoin blockchain that this is the proof that I require to get the coins out again. The thing that does not work out with sidechains is the economics. Uh, because sidechains also need to be mined. You need miners to secure the sidechains. This is important um, not only for the sidechain itself, but also for the Bitcoin chain. Right? If, you, if you can forge the, the proof that you destroyed the coins on the sidechain, if you can forge that or create it but undo it later by, by, by reorgs on the sidechain, Uh, then this is as if it never happened and you, you mess up with the economy on Bitcoin. So uh, you need to be able to, uh, to, to mine on the sidechain and so the economics need to check out who pays for mining on the sidechain. The users might due to, um, due to, due to fees, but, but that's not really what we are looking for, right? Especially if we... If you make a sidechain, there was a big argument in this big blocker, small blocker debate of 2015, 2016. If we make a, a sidechain for very large blocks so that they have essentially free transactions, you don't want to get the security there from, um, from transaction fees. Especially since a sidechain can just also live for one month only, then you discard it and take the next one. So it's, uh, there, there is no, you really want this to be, to be fast. The second thing is merged mining. I'm not going to go into merged mining too much. Something that was invented by Namecoin, which allows to have your chain mined together with Bitcoin. So that if, if a miner finds, a miner will try to mine Bitcoin, but if as a, um, as a side effect of that, he finds a hash which, um, which has certain criteria for, for Namecoin, you accept that as proof of work for Namecoin. Benefit is uh, you get the full um, the full security of Bitcoin. Um, drawback is there is an operational overhead for the miner to do that. It takes uh, longer to figure out what you mine. Uh, you have to have more nodes running to figure out uh, what the situation on the sidechain is. And it turned out that the marginal gains that you get from mining the, the sidechain, because you get only fee paid in, in fee, um, does not justify the, uh, the operational overhead and the, the, the time that you lose on the Bitcoin main chain. If it takes you five seconds longer per block to, to be able to, to start mining on the Bitcoin main chain, that's a cost. So how do we get uh, miners reimbursed? Uh, now, this is an, an idea actually of my own, so please be very skeptical about that. If nobody has complaints, I will publish that in a blog post and it will be embarrassing for all of us if it's stupid. Um, <laughs> so. It's great, the glory is yours. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, what I think would be very reasonable to do is to pay the fees on the sidechain with inflation, right? So uh, the model would basically be if I, um, if I take 100 Bitcoin, move them to a sidechain. If I move them back a month later, I do not get 100 Bitcoin back. I only get 90 Bitcoin back, right? I lost money due to inflation. Um, so the, the amount of money on the sidechain gets continuously increased to pay the miners and if i if it i decrease no the, it, it's increased you you create more tokens on the sidechain so it's not a one-to-one -one pack it's more more um, if i uh, if i own one percent of the sidechain tokens i get one percent i redeem that to bitcoin i get one percent 
of the frozen Bitcoin. But if there is continuously more created on the sidechain. So basically, on the sidechain, holders pay their share. So if you want to, to be able to transact quickly, to transact cheaply, move your money to the sidechain, um, make the transactions there, but you will be incentivized to as quickly as possible move it back to the main chain for saving, so to say. This is an irritating, irritating concept. I understand that. But let's, let's just do it the other way around. Let's look at all of that from the perspective of the sidechain and you will be surprised at how, how common this concept is. Let's say the sidechain has, a, has an inflation of 2% per year. Uh, that's, so the money that you hold on the sidechain is very much comparable to the money that you have on your checkings account. Right? It's, it loses, it continuously bleeds value through, through delusion. But it's but the, the it's somewhat comparable to to to, to what you have have in, in your um, checking account. So you will try to only have the the money there that you need for day to day spending. For the larger amounts, you will move that to a savings account, which in this example would be Bitcoin. And in Bitcoin, I mean, I, I started this this discussion as with Bitcoin as reference. Now I'm shifting reference to the sidechain. So calculated in sidechain money. Storing my money in Bitcoin for a year and bringing it back to the sidechain, I will get more money on the sidechain. Right? So I'm actually, from the perspective of the sidechain, earning interest by storing the, um, the funds on Bitcoin. The interest just being not being diluted. So I could take a loan in Bitcoin and put it on well, the other way around. I could take a loan in the sidechain put that money into Bitcoin and pay the loan back and get something left over and make money from that? Um, yes and no. I mean, it's, uh, since it's predetermined to which, what, how much you will make that way, it's basically who would give you a loan for that conditions if you could just as well do it himself. If you assume that that information is widely spread, yes? Yeah, that information would be widely spread because it's somewhat a fixed constant um, of each sidechain. So each each sidechain, it's public knowledge. It, it needs to be public but knowledge. But that would then you cannot do an arbitrary. Okay, but then your example is not working because then the prices of the of the sidechain would be higher, right? So that nobody does arbitrage. Yeah, is there, is there an exchange rate between Bitcoin token and the sidechain token? token? Yeah, there there is an there is an exchange rate because you can always redeem the sidechain token for Bitcoin. You can generate sidechain sidechain so token the from exchange Bitcoin. Rate is there there is an exchange rate neutralizing the the ARP the the exchange rate ARP. Yeah, exactly. The more you produce, the less the smaller the pricing gets because you have generated more. There there is essentially no asymmetric information on this. No, but then again, your example would not work, right? I why not? Because if you hold, if you exchange it then to the side chain again, to prevent dilution. No, dilution protection is on Bitcoin, not on the side chain. Exactly, but the the FX rate in the side chain of Bitcoin would would neutralize that. The rational thing is probably almost always to have your money on Bitcoin. You would only move it to the side chain if the side chain has a feature that you intend to use. Exactly, but you need to make sure that there is no arbitrage in between because then people would actually do that move to the sidechain and try to, or, or borrow from the sidechain, place it at the Bitcoin side and then 
pay back the loan and even have some leftovers from exactly. from that arbitrage. So the tax rate needs to make sure that this and cannot happen. Still, I'm, I'm sure the loan on the side chain could could go and just put it himself in. Yeah. Bitcoin. So there, there is no asymmetric information um, between that. So there is no no arbitrage, no 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 using of of, of inefficiencies. Um, actually, if somebody does the arbitrage, that's a good thing. If because the um, just from a from a computer science point of view again, because this locking Bitcoin or this redeeming sidechain, uh, that's a rather costly thing to do. So it might be um, beneficial to, to just trade it on an exchange to stay within those. Um, but everybody knows what the exchange rate is or what the cost is to move it from one to the other. That balance needs to be zero, the difference. Yes. Otherwise you will have arbitrage and that arbitrage will then bring it to zero. Yeah, but that's, that's fine, isn't it? Okay. That's no, but what is then, what's then the point of having the sidechain? What's the point? Well, you will only use um, have funds on the sidechain if you want to use it for something that the main chain cannot do. I and only for it's your checking account, mm -hmm. right? Where it's your checking you account. Payments quick and mm -hmm. you basically just ask the question: What's the point of having a checking account? Why do you not always have everything on the savings account? Because the savings account is slow. Because the savings account redeem getting money from the savings account costs money. It's the same, the same idea there. It's, it's really, once you did this, this um, shift of perspective of calculating relative to sidechain and not relative to Bitcoin, it's the perfect analogy for, for, for checkings account and savings account. I have another issue with it that's not arbitrage, but because in my opinion it does mess with the deflationary mechanism of uh, the, the main chain of Bitcoin itself. How does it do that in my opinion? depending on where you think the value of Bitcoin itself as an asset is derived from. In my opinion, in the opinion of most people I live in this room, it's derived from the utility that people see in it. So what you would need is for money to still keep flowing in as in attract that money. And how do you attract that money in the first place? You attract it with it being more accepted. So I can go to the kiosk, I can pay there, I can pay Florine back for lunch, can do et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The whole point is the transactional benefit of it. If you negate that with the, uh, with the inflationary mechanism on the side chain, that does not uh, play well with the deflationary mechanism of the main chain. Why? I, I disagree because there is an, an, a clear and known way of going from one to the other. Basically, your arguments um, would in the same way work on lightning. Right? You, you Can I add on top of that question here? The benefits of the side chain are generally better than the main chain. Yeah. Wouldn't the side chain at some point that might the main chain? very well happen? Yeah. Sure, if it's if it's purely better, uh, I'm still waiting for that, right? Because um, if you if you think that a hundred megabyte um, block limit side chain is better than Bitcoin, well, chances are it's not. But but yeah, this is this is um, this is something which which appears basically in in, in all major blog posts and papers um, on sidechains, that sidechains are also the perfect way of going uh, from one regime to another, if you want to, without leaving anybody behind. They can coexist for a time, but if, if really somebody figures out something which is just awesome and better, by all means, just shift everything there. What, what I think you are deriving is you are deriving the counter value in Bitcoin itself. 
what you're forgetting about is the fact that that value starts to be backed, at least the way that we see things right now, by uh, US dollar equivalent, because at the end of the day, we look at the collective market cap of BTC, and people mine BTC because they know that there's an exchange rate towards US dollar, well, fiat currency in general. So here, what you do have is you do have the compensation and the inflation mechanism in BTC, but you, what, you, what I think you're forgetting at least is the influx, the continuous influx of the fiat currency into BTC in the first place to substantiate the value of it. Because in, influx into BTC and influx into the sidechain are the same thing, because you can freely move from one to the other. Yes, but it restricts the influx. Okay, because um, we are almost out of time and I want to make a concluding remark. From? What? Where do you derive the 2% from? Well, it's... The inflationary 2%. Where do I derive that like, from? Where is it derived from? Real growth the, essentially, you're saying that it's your savings account, it's your checking account. Yeah. Savings account, I know that the 2% that the banks give me, the money that I have given into the savings account is used for banks lending, for banks other lines of business, and then they repay it through the interest that they've got somewhere else because if someone else they charge a 3% on borrowing and for me, for being the lender, they give me a 2% interest back. Okay. So Basically, by being, by being like you're checking in, 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 in the sidechain, you pay for the flexibility of being in the sidechain. Okay, and that pay would be the um, equivalent of 2%? Yes. To offset the yes. value that you're giving one. Okay, but yes, then now going back, it will just all shift then. And then you're left with nobody on the main or the I, I, I disagree with that because um, I would only move so much into the sidechain as I do need for my day-to-day -day spendings. The rest I want undiluted. Yeah, you need to but long term the main chain will then go under yes. if the side chain is much better. But, but you still well, run the risk. You, you lose 2% per year. If, if we figure that losing 2% two, two per year is better, by all means, let Bitcoin then, go under. Then there will be a coin which is not diluted because there is no inflation and it will be handy for spending. But I'm still No, that's just Bitcoin. Work. <laughs> somebody, somebody has to pay for the security of the system. It has to come either from dilution or from fees. Somebody has to pay the miners. Okay, the 2% fees argument then... then uh, the 2% is arbitrary, right? Okay. It's, it's just some number. But you're all forgetting, you still run an additional risk just putting everything on the sidechain. If the sidechain doesn't work out, what's my potential loss? As much as you put on the sidechain. Exactly. So you're looking at this risk... I'm, not, I'm never going to put everything on the sidechain. Yeah, because you consider the Bitcoin's yeah. chain to be more secure, more mature, more, yeah. more stable than the sidechain. And I totally agree with that. So, so let's, let's come, try to come full circle. What does that now have to do with the initial uh, discussion on, um, on inflation on Bitcoin? Uh, because that argument would work if Bitcoin had a 2% inflation, and then the sidechain could have 4% inflation. My argument is we don't know yet what scaling, um, will, what scaling mechanism will work out. But being uh, the most conservative choice is, the, from a computer science point of view, from a technology point of view, is the, is the reasonable thing to be for the ground layer for Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, is distributed because you can build a, cent a centralized system on a distributed system, but not the other way around. It is highly secure because you can build an, an insecure, fast system on a very secure one, but not the other way around. And it's deflationary because you can build an inflationary system with some benefits, maybe, 
on top of a deflationary system, but not the other way around. So Bitcoin being purely deflationary leaves the most flexibility for future ideas and future concepts for, for scaling or for improvements. So it's the ideal choice, even though that economically it might not be the ideal choice. I know it maybe doesn't concern us anymore, but when the 21 million coins are mined, what's going to happen then? Uh, well, it will concern us, um, because right now, uh, what was it, two-thirds are already mined by yeah. 2040, 95% will be mined. This 2140 is really when the last Satoshi is mined, but we don't really care anymore. Right? It's, um, we are basically in the deflationary model. I, I think if I remember correctly right now, we are, Bernadette probably knows, at 2.5% inflation, nominal inflation per year in Bitcoin. And with the next halving, it will be somewhere around 1%. So we are already very low. Well, what will happen is that the fees will have to take over. So we are really at the extreme that the users have to pay for everything. Which is why I would, it might have been better, or why Dogecoin decided it might be better to not go full deflationary, but, but let it stay with a, with a fixed amount of increase. Dogecoin decided to... To, to take the same um, number of coins, so just not half anymore at some point. And Freikoin took the choice of, of having the same percentage throughout time, so even increasing the, the, the reward, the absolute number of reward. Uh, both uh, would be fine with me, and I could very well imagine that once Bitcoin is totally deflationary, a sidechain with reasonable inflation numbers can emerge from that, but still Having Bitcoin as the totally deflationary one is from a allowing flexibility and allowing innovation point of view, the ideal choice. And store of value point of view. And store of value point of view. Oh, okay. Although if we really, I mean that's somewhat the argument that came up a few times now, if we really move 95% over to a sidechain because it's just cooler there, then also that sidechain might be the better store of value. That's fine with me. In the economic sense of the term, yes, it's healthy to have up to 5% inflation, but that's a different reason. It's because you're looking at the macroeconomic perspective. I think that in this case, the whole beauty of it is the purely deflationary principle. I think that slowing down of inflation is, is on purpose, and that going into full deflation mode is actually on purpose as well, because the transition in of the traditional means of payment, the traditional means of etc., goes fully into Bitcoin that way, where even transacting with it does become more expensive, which makes sense because small, 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 small transactions will take over. And on those, of course, it's, it's a different thing you're speaking about. Or I think that's why Litecoin even came to be to exactly take that spot. I think that putting inflation there does mess with the long-term deflationary value and long-term... Um, well, this is why I'm, why, why I'm not suggesting to put inflation into Bitcoin. You're putting on a side chain. Yeah. But if we have no inflation anymore in Bitcoin and everything goes via transaction fee, and that transaction fee due to the mining costs, rising electricity costs, blah, 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 is quite expensive per transaction, what real-life problem is Bitcoin then going to solve? That's, that's a discussion which opens a few different questions. It's not that more transactions do not require more mining costs. Right. It's the, 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 the cost of mining, the reward that a miner gets is proportional to the amount of security that you want on the chain, not proportional to the number of transactions But that you do on the chain. But this is given, right? This all is given. 
the complexity of, of the calculation environment? No, no. The, the complexity is adjusted such that one block is fined over every 10 minutes. So if more miners switch on or if more miners switch off, the difficulty will get up or down. So the amount of, of electricity spent, the amount of money spent on securing the network is really proportional to how much are people willing to pay in fee because of the security that they get there. So it's, it's proportional to the amount of security that you get, that you need for, for Bitcoin and not proportional to the number of transactions. So uh, actually, I, I, I see that, I mean, it's currently offset by the subsidy. Right? There is something like, I don't know the current numbers, what one Bitcoin um, of transaction fees per block and 12.5 Bitcoin of mm. subsidy. So what, what people are willing to pay for the security is 10 times less than what the miners get. So what the miners spend on electricity. So um, once this block subsidy goes down and then halves every four years, I, I can very well see that the, that the total, total amount of electricity spent on mining goes down compared to now, not up. Yeah, depends on, on the, it really depends. If, you, if, if it moves more to an interbank settlement um, platform, then the, the, the need, the requirement for higher security might be higher than if it's used for day-to-day -day spending, the, the amount that, that banks are willing to pay on fees might be higher than this. There are still a lot of unknowns in this. Okay, good. Thank you very much. This episode was brought to you by Crypto Finance. We are happy to receive comments and feedback. Email your thoughts to research at cryptofinance.ch.